And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And what a week it has been. And what a week I think it's going to be. Uh, so many important stories and, and things going on in the world that I think really need to be looked at closely. But I'm going to focus on three things on this episode. And I think they're already, hopefully all three of them are on your radar. And it, it was a very, very important week for me because as you know, on Wednesday, uh, so this is, I guess it was August, August 6th, you had that massive explosion in Beirut, that massive, massive explosion certainly looked like the something like a nuclear blast with sonic waves coming out of it of that building in Beirut, right on the port of Beirut, and um, hundreds of people have died. I think it's worth something about probably between two hundred and two hundred fifty people dead from this explosion. Which, if you saw the magnitude of the explosion, and anyone listening has not seen the video of the explosion, go on your computers now and just Google whatever search engine you like to use, Beirut explosion. If you have not seen it, if you're one of the few people who have not seen this explosion, you'll see what I'm talking about. It was just such a massive explosion. It's one of the few, it's one of the reasons why the story was finally covered. A massive, massive explosion. Hopefully you saw it, or hopefully now you will take a moment and, and, and check it out. But for the fact that, the fact that there are not thousands dead from this explosion is, is, is a real blessing, frankly. Uh, because of the magnitude of it, and it's just it, it's something to see. But because it was so massive, and because the video was cap the the explosion was captured from different angles on video, the American news media, which has been ignoring similar incidents like this since, that have been going on in this region since June, since early June. Now, granted, none of the incidents were as large an explosion as this one. But the American news media and mostly most of the world media who have been ignoring or very much downplaying or sometimes not even reporting at all, the string of incidents that have been going on in the Middle East since early June, they, even they, even the American news media made a big deal out of this story. And it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons was, and if not the biggest reason, was that it was, a, it was just so visually stunning, folks. Again, if, you, if you're one of the few people who hasn't seen the explosion, see it now. And you'll see why it was hard, even for an American news media, which has decided, and you've heard me say this before on the Nachum Siegel Network, the American news media, which has decided to cover one story and one story only. And that story is get Trump, attack Trump, 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 Trump. And then you have some people in the American news media who support Trump. I guess you would say Fox News, although Fox News doesn't always support Trump, whereas the other news media outlets always attack Trump. But either way, it's basically just one story a day, which is killing the news media. I talked about this on the last edition of Novak Now. It's killing journalism. It's killing us as a political, as a civil society. But even they had to take a break for one second on this one and cover the story. And that's just the first of many remarkable things about this story. Now, this is going to sound like Jake Novak tooting his own horn here and doing a lot of self-promotion. And I'll admit that that's something that I have to do. If you're an independent journalist these days, you have a lot of positives and negatives in your toolbox. And one of the positives is that you can create a platform. Thanks to platforms like Twitter or Facebook, I can broadcast to millions of people if I'm lucky enough to get their attention. Right? I can do that. 
But the negatives are you don't have anyone to sort of promote you. And if you don't do it for yourself and let people know about your stories and when you've had something successful out there, no one is going to know. So as many of you know who have been following me, since early June, I have been writing about these string of very unusually damaging and consecutive explosions, mishaps, and fires, both in Iran and outside of Iran in the overall Middle East, but all Iranian targets. In other words, there have been some military bases in Iraq that have been attacked and have had mishaps and explosions. There have been fires in other Iranian-backed sites. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't all in Iran, but any organization, militia group, military group that was connected to Iran, even if they weren't in Iran proper, if they were in Iraq or in some other places, in this case, Beirut, have had all these horrible things happen to them. Now, it started in Iran, and the most the headline, even though it was not as fabulous as an explosion, a massive explosion like we saw in Beirut, I would still say the number one incident here of all these incidents that have happened, well over a dozen since early June, was the explosion of a gas tank that powered the Natanz nuclear facility, Iran. This is Iran's nuclear facility headquarters, where their nuclear program is headquartered and all the development and those centrifuges, the whole thing is in Natanz. And the gas tank that powers this facility exploded, causing some tremendous damage to the nuclear facility as well. Some people say it has set back the Iranian nuclear program by three entire years. Other people are more conservative and they say one. Either way, that's a massive explosion. That, to me, is still the headline story. But second, very close second, is the missile control headquarters for Iran, where Iran's missile systems and missile program is headquartered, was also badly damaged in what may have been a drone attack, may have been an inside bomb. Uh, Cyber hacking may have been involved in both the Natanz nuclear facility and this missile facility. These are the two biggest as far as their strategic value. But as far as the size of the explosion and how massive it was, the building explosion in Beirut, which was almost common knowledge that this was a place where Hezbollah, the Iranian-backed terrorist army that's been controlling Lebanon for a long time, been in Lebanon for a while, but they pretty much took almost complete control of Lebanon not too long ago. It was common knowledge that they were storing uh, a fertilizer-based explosives there, hundreds of tons of them. But it also appears now that there were rockets and other missiles and things stored. So this was a massive weapon storage unit by the Iranian-backed Hezbollah that caused that huge explosion on Wednesday, August 6th, that, again, I hope you've seen the video. But, folks, if you haven't been following me and the, and the reporting I've been doing about it and a few others, you didn't know that there have been more than a dozen types, types of incidents like this, albeit smaller explosions, but still pretty devastating, that had been damaging Iranian sites both in Iran and outside of Iran, uh, Iran back sites if they weren't in Iran proper. And as I wrote about 10 days before the explosion at the end of August, and I talked about, it's something that you can, again, if you follow me on Twitter, at JakeJakeNY, everything I write, publish, broadcast is, is promoted there. So about 10 days before the Beirut explosion, I explained my exclusive story, which, that, which was that all these explosions on Iranian targets, Iranian assets, were not a coincidence. I, my sources tell me, as I, and again, I said this on Novak Now when, when the article first came out, my sources tell me that two extremely high-level members of the Iranian military regime have turned on the regime. And you may remember me saying here on Novak Now, or if you just read the, the article that I wrote about it, their main 
purpose is to tell both Israel and the United States where Iran's weapons are, both inside of Iran, outside of Iran, places like Lebanon, places like Iraq, etc., etc. So when the explosion happened in Beirut on August 6th, I had a bunch of people calling me and telling me, wow, you really predicted this, because this was an area, this was a building where people knew Hezbollah was holding its weapons, was storing its weapons, I happen to think there were a lot more weapons in there that people didn't know about, in addition to the fertilizer-based we- uh, bomb. And for those of you who remember your American history, your recent American history, it was a fertilizer-based bomb that Timothy McVeigh used to destroy the Murrah Phil- F- Federal Building in Oklahoma in 1995. So this is no joke, folks. This is the kind of stuff that can bring down massive buildings, and in this case, it did. And in 2016, Hassan Nasrallah, who's the head of Hezbollah, threatened to attack Israel with a massive bomb, just like the one, just like used from the materials, just like that you found that we saw that, that were inside that building in, in Beirut. So I had a lot of people calling, emailing and, and messaging me and saying, wow, you predicted this, you predicted this. Of course, I didn't write an article saying that on August 6th, a Hezbollah weapons storage building was going to explode. I didn't, I didn't predict it in that sense. But I did tell people that there were top level Iranian defectors, moles, whatever you want to call them who were telling us here in the United States and Israel where Iran and Iran backs pro- Iran's proxies like Hezbollah, which is really the most important of all of Iran's backed military terrorist armies. Hezbollah is the number one such ent- entity. Uh, I was telling you that my sources say that we're finding out both the U.S. and Israel are being told where all these facilities are, where the weapons are being he- held, and in many cases the U.S. and Israel and other groups, maybe even the Kurds, are targeting these locations now that we know where they are and what's going on there. Now, so this is an extraordinary development, uh, and it's been both in the Middle East and for the reporting. It's, I feel this is a tremendous vote of confidence and, and affirmation of the, of the confidential sources that I've cultivated on this story. So I'm very proud of that, um, and I'm very happy to have had that information. And so this event in, in Lebanon... While tragic, there, there were clearly there were innocent people who died in this thing, and this is not to be uh, you know this is not to be celebrated. There may be a sigh of relief about it because if this was a weapon, this was some kind of group of weapons that would have been used on Israel or were about to be used on Israel, then we absolutely have the right to be relieved and and happy about those weapons being knocked out. But I I, I think it's without question when you see this the if you know and, and have seen the video of the size of that blast that certainly some innocent people died from it, and that's nothing to be happy about. So I want to make that clear. And I also want to make it clear, I don't have information as to who did this. Whether it was a case of Hezbollah, it could, by the way, it could have been an absolute accident in that I believe, and there's also evidence that's come out in the last few days, that Hezbollah was storing rockets and missiles at this site as well. And it's very possible there was some kind of missile that blew up or a rocket that blew up by accident because there were a lot of weapons there. And, unlo- and this, this happens all the time, by the way, when you're dealing with military ordnance and ammunition and things like that. But when you store it next to 270 tons of fertilizer-based bombs, each one of which can destroy an entire building, well, then you get an explosion like you had there. So it may not have actually been an attack. It may not have been an Israeli, American, or another group attacking the building that caused the explosion. It could have been a mishap having to do with Hezbollah's other weapons. Now, in the crater that, that, that now exists where that building used to stand, 
they are now finding a network of tunnels underneath the building, which leads me to believe and many other experts to believe that, that weapons were being smuggled out of that building, probably to ships in the port of Beirut, maybe on their way to Hamas, maybe on their way to other, uh, other terrorist groups, who knows? So it's very possible with all the traffic coming in and out of the tunnels underneath that building that something could have happened that exploded that building and didn't have anything to do with, a, with an Israeli, American, or, or Kurdish attack. Although I would not be surprised if any one of those groups were responsible for taking out this building. And as tragic as it is that some civilians died, innocent civilian died, died in it. And if those weapons were, for, if, if that massive explosion had happened in a populated area in northern Israel, I mean, my goodness. Uh, thank goodness that that didn't happen. So Israel would have been certainly within its rights to take that out. And uh, the fact that there isn't a larger amount of civilian deaths would be would be a nice thing. So anyway, this has been a tremendous confirmation, I believe, of what I've been reporting, which is if, they, if you are hiding Iranian weapons, if you are an Iranian back group and you have weapons, if you are an Iranian, if you are an Iranian military site, if you are an Iranian infrastructure site that has anything to do with the production transportation or development of weapons, Israel and the United States know where you are now. You cannot hide. There have, the, the, the information is out there and we may see more incidents like this. So this is an extraordinary development because this was the most dramatic explosion, the most dramatic incident. And whereas the American news media and most of the world news media had been ignoring this extraordinary number of explosions, fires, and other mishaps, at Iranian and Iranian-backed weapon sites, they couldn't. It was an extraordinary development because the explosion was so large and was captured on so many different video screens that even the American news media couldn't ignore this one. So that was the first extraordinary thing that happened, and then the ancillary part of that is just that again, I, I believe it was a surprising, quick affirmation of the reporting that I that I had been doing. I didn't expect ten days late after I wrote the article explaining this regime situation in Iran and how these people were, were informing on the regime and, and, and publicizing to Israel and the United States where some of these sensitive locations were. I didn't expect to only have to wait 10 days to see something so dramatic and to see that story finally break through into more of a public consciousness. So I'm, I'm grateful that that is now something people are talking about and people know. But that's not the only extraordinary thing that's happened because in some ways an even more extraordinary thing has happened because of this explosion, because of this incident in Lebanon. And I want to talk about that because this is another aspect of the story now that has been dropped by the American and Western news media, whereas from what I understand, the Israeli news media, to their credit, has certainly recognized this. You'd have to be blind not to recognize it, but... Clearly, the American news media has has moved on back to its Trump obsession and other things like that. But here is something that you may not have seen as a result of this massive explosion in Beirut. And that is the people of Lebanon have been protesting for days as a result of this explosion. And whereas you might expect them to maybe protest Israel, maybe protest America, right? When something bad happens in an Arab country, don't they always or almost always blame Israel? Don't they always or almost always blame America and chant the death to America stuff and all that kind of thing? Well, guess what? That's not happening in Lebanon. By some happy coincidence or whatever, whatever the reason is, and I know there are a lot of ideas about it, but for whatever reason, the Lebanese people are protesting and rioting 
in some cases, against their own government and against Hezbollah, where they are placing the blame squarely where it belongs. The Lebanese people understand, they're taking a very adult and clear response to this, in my opinion. They know that no matter if, even if someone did attack this building that was from another country, that it's Hezbollah that has brought this misery onto the Lebanese people, not only with this explosion, but with everything that Hezbollah has done in Lebanon since they made their appearance there first in 1982. Hezbollah putting this massive weapon site right in the middle of a civilian area, this is their fault, and the Lebanese people understand that. So either, whether the, if the accident was, if the explosion was an accident because Hezbollah was careless with other weapons or with these tunnels or something, then it's clearly something that's all Hezbollah's fault. But even if Israel or the United States or some other group took out this weapons target for their own protection in a preemptive strike, the Lebanese people understand that's still Hezbollah's fault. So when I say the Lebanese people are protesting and rioting, I don't mean that they're just burning tires in the street, although they are doing that. But they're also attacking ministers in the Lebanese government who belong to Hezbollah. Either they're part, officially a part of Hezbollah or they're compliant with Hezbollah. They are asking their government basically to resign for allowing Hezbollah to take over so much of, Hez, of, of Lebanon, for allowing Hezbollah to do so many reckless things that have endangered their people. This explosion is, is a last straw for a lot of people in Lebanon who know that Hezbollah is no good for them. And instead of blaming Israel, the usual punching bag, and instead of blaming the United States, the almost... The, the same punching bag. They're putting the blame where it belongs, in Hezbollah's lap, in Iran's lap. Hezbollah doesn't exist without Iran. Okay? Iran is, is, is Hezbollah's creator, provider, strategist, the whole thing. There are protests in Lebanon where they are hanging in effigy Hassan Nasrallah, that leader of Hezbollah. There are protests against, they are going to the government ministries uh, the buildings where the government ministries are and throwing rocks and doing things like that. I hope that innocent people aren't hurt in these pri- in these riots. But I'm sorry, it, it, it's, it's encouraging to see an Arab country, and yes, Lebanon isn't as far crazy radical as some other Islamic countries, but it's become an Islamic country. Remember, Lebanon used to be a majority Christian Arab country, but the country's been invaded twice in our in my lifetime. It was invaded after in after something called Black September when the Palestinians who were living under the protection of King Hussein, then King Hussein in Jordan, were expelled out of Jordan, and most of them ended up in Lebanon. They invaded Lebanon and destroyed that country. And then in 1976, they had what they teach in school is a civil war in Lebanon. It was a civil war. It wasn't a civil war, folks. It was an invasion. Lebanon, which always had a Muslim community but was a majority Christian Arab community and where people lived in peace for the most part. <laughs> I'm not saying they weren't anti-Israel and anti-Semitic and all. There were plenty of people like that in Lebanon. But Beirut was a nice city. It was a fun city. They called it the Paris of the Middle East for a reason. And it was destroyed by these invading Palestinian terrorist groups that had been housed and, and given a place to live in peace you know, in, in encouragement at least, by King Hussein, and they came to Lebanon and destroyed that country. And then in 1982, Hezbollah made its entrance. So it was a Shiite Muslim, a different, the, the Palestinian Black September groups were, were Sunni. The Shia groups came in 1982 in the form of Hezbollah. One of the first things they did in 1983 is kill almost 250 Marines at the U.S. Marine barracks in Beirut. And their power has been growing ever since. And the Lebanese people after that explosion on August 6th, just a few days ago, decided this is enough. 
Now, some people have been saying to me, Jake, don't get too ahead of your skis on this one. Don't don't celebrate the fact that the Lebanese people are, blame, are out rioting and protesting in the streets against Hezbollah and against Iran because it could end up being like another Arab Spring, they tell me. And I have to disagree with that conclusion. Not that I don't understand where the concern comes from. I absolutely hear you. If you're one of those people who says, hey, this reminds me of the Arab Spring and we were we were encouraged by it in the beginning. We were hoping that the Arab countries that were having these protests were going to throw off their crazy anti-Israel dictators. And then, and then look what happened. In many cases, they were replaced by people who were worse. And Egypt is a great example, right? Mohamed Morsi became the leader of Egypt after the Arab Spring revolts got rid of um, Hosni Mubarak. And he was even more, he was a total Muslim Brotherhood uh, uh, member. He was even more anti-Israel and anti-Jewish. Luckily, that forced the military in Egypt to take control again. And now el-Sisi, the, the leader of Egypt, is very cooperative with Israel. Uh, so you could argue that the Arab Spring actually did turn out well, at least in the Egypt situation. But I understand for those of you who are concerned, who aren't going to say this is a good thing in Lebanon. Now, I understand that. So what I'm going to do as a concession to people who say that is I, I will admit that what's going on in Lebanon now, the protests going on in Lebanon, don't necessarily won't necessarily end well for everyone involved. What I am saying is this is different from the Arab Spring. This isn't a question of some group of people saying we want more Islamist society. This isn't a group of people who say they want more, uh, a different, just a different leader. From uh, you know, They are saying that, but that's not all they want. What they're saying is Iran-backed Hezbollah has come into our country and brought this misery upon us many times over, not just this explosion uh, on August 6th, that everyone paid attention to, we want it out. It's the fact that they're not blaming Israel and the fact that they're not blaming the United States, this is very encouraging. That's what I'm encouraged about. I'm not saying it's going to completely end in a better situation. But you have to be encouraged by the fact that at least some of the countries that have been bulldozed by Iran, like Lebanon, seem to get it. Now, maybe one day the Syrian people will do the same thing. The the Syrian government from you know Assad... Bashar Assad, which has killed hundreds of thousands of its own people in the civil war in Syria, none of that would have been possible without Iran's backing. You know, and Russia's involved in it too, I understand that. But the real carnage in Syria has been encouraged and backed by Iran. Maybe one day there'll be a group of Syrians who, other than just the Syrian rebels, who will say, Iran brought this misery onto our country. Get out. Get out of our country. So that, that's kind of what's happening in Lebanon right now. And I am encouraged by that for a number of different reasons. So again, just to, to sum up what's happened just in the last few days, and I hope that you've been following me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY is my Twitter handle, because I'm writing about this, I'm getting good sources on it, and I just want to make sure it's not about making me a great person. These are stories that I'm very interested in, even if it were someone else who, who, who was writing them, I would promote them. And there are other people who are writing about this and getting angles that I don't have that I am promoting on my feed as well. So please follow me so that you're more informed. To be more informed than the average person watching mainstream news media in America is not that hard, right? I mean, that's the funny part. If, you, if your goal is to be more informed than the person who watches CNN, MSNBC, CBS, NBC, or ABC, that's not hard because they're covering one story a day and it's the same story every day. Get Trump. So if you're interested in really knowing what the heck's going on in a lot of different areas of the news and a lot of different areas of the world and a lot of different areas of the United States, you, you need to go elsewhere. And 
this story that began in early June of this string of massive explosions in and outside of Iran, but all Iranian assets and Iranian targets, is something that I've been covering ever since then. Other people have been covering since then. And 10 days before that Beirut explosion, I told the world that any Iranian weapon site or Iranian-backed weapon site is now in the crosshairs. And sure enough, we had that massive explosion in Beirut just just a, a week and a half after I wrote the column. So please follow me and, and, and you'll see that these things are going on. It's an important story that we need to follow very, very carefully. Um, I, I want to finish up just in the last couple of moments that we have here on Novak now to talk a little bit about another major story that I think encompasses the Middle East, although it didn't come from the Middle East, but it, it's someone who was talking about it. And that is this story about the actor Seth Rogen doing an interview with Mark Marin, who's another, uh, both of them are Jewish, where they both trash the state of Israel. And Seth Rogen talks about lies or other things that he was taught about Israel that aren't true. And he basically said the state of Israel shouldn't exist. Um, the man has absolutely no good business sense because he has a movie coming out this week called American Pickle, which is, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a Jewish movie. He plays a Jewish man from the 19th century and, and he has a dual role. He also plays his grandson or great-grandson or something like that. And it's a Jewish story. I mean, it's not a religious movie, but you understand what I'm saying. So on the eve of this movie coming out where he's going to want to get a bunch of Jewish viewers at least to, to come and watch the movie, he bashes Israel. I mean, you know, great seichel in, in Seth Rogen's mind. I mean, we, we're, we're not dealing with a very smart person. We get that. But one of the things that I think we should do before – it's a really important lesson that we're learning from his comments, which is – when we hear people bashing Israel and hearing non-Jews bashing Israel and saying anti-Semitic things, the first thing we say is, oh, you know, we need to educate these folks. I need to educate the rapper Ice Cube, you know, who apparently is getting an education from Morton Klein, uh, a very pro-Zionist uh, Jewish man. Uh, we need to educate Nick Cannon, you know, the TV guy who said those things about Jews. And that may be true. But folks, we need to start with educating our own kids. Now, Seth Rogen actually went to some Jewish schools and went to Jewish day, camp, day camps, but they were socialist, secularist places. And I think it teaches us, as my friend Rabbi Yotav Eliach has been, is writing about this week, it teaches us that without some form of connection to the Jewish homeland on a religious basis, you don't have to be an Orthodox person to see the, have, feel a religious connection to Israel as a Jew. But if you're going to go to an ultra-secularist type Jewish school or camp where socialism is the religion, you're going to have a hard time with Zionism. Even though you know, Israel is kind of a socialist country, right? It, was, it used to be much more of a socialist country. But outside of Israel, I think secular Jews in Israel absolutely can be taught the nationalism of Israel, absolutely can learn very easily the, the vitality and the, the important nature that Israel, it, 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 that Israel has. You can be a very strong Zionist in Israel and be a secular person. I think outside of Israel, as a, if you're a secular Jew, it's harder to achieve. And Seth Rogen is a great example of that or a terrible example of that, whatever, whichever terminology you want to use. But folks, understand that as Jews, no matter how religious you are, we've got to educate our children better about Israel and why it is needed, why it is essential, why it is a, a shining light to the nations. It's not something the world doesn't need. You know, one of the things I like to say to people, Israel isn't, isn't the problem. Israel is the solution. Imagine if more countries, not just in the Middle East, but all over the world, treated their people and treated innovation and, 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 and making things better for all like Israel does. Israel is the solution. It's not the problem. 
For people who think it's the problem, they're either incredibly ignorant or they're just hateful. In the case of Seth Rogen, I think we can land on the ignorance square with some, with some great uh, confidence. This is Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.